Welcome everyone, this is Damien John and this is Massage Therapy Now. Today's guest harkens from the United States of America, Illinois region. He has a very long history in the profession of massage therapy. He started doing massage the year after I was born. So he has been doing it for one year longer than I've been alive and I am 43 this year. So 44 years of massage experience is vast in terms of the profession. He also is the president of the Massage Therapy Foundation, the board of the Massage Therapy Foundation, and this is how we've connected. Uh, the Massage Therapy Foundation does a lot in the realm of research, and recently the RMTBC and the foundation have made a stronger connection. So we got connected via that connection, and we've been talking about a various number of things with COVID-19 showing up. It's been part of our topics of conversation, but we're going to try and get into a number of flowing spaces together today in our conversation. My guest is Douglas Nelson. Welcome, Doug. Thank you so much, Damien. I'm, I'm pleased to be here and, and looking forward to the conversation. So thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. It's been a while in coming. I think I started talking to the Massage Therapy Foundation folk probably over a year ago or close to that. And we've been waiting to connect in this way for a while. So, Doug, could you just introduce yourself a little bit, sure. uh, give people a flavor of who you are, Sure. Why maybe you're related to the foundation and what it is that you do in relation to manual therapy and massage therapy and sure. And uh, give our listeners some foundation as to absolutely who you are in the world. So, um, yeah, I started, you know, in 1977. Um, so long time ago, but you know, years ago, I, I don't know that I, in some ways could clearly elucidate that, that mission, Damien, but it was that somehow um, hands-on work is uniquely positioned to address the, the discomfort and the musculoskeletal problems that people have. I don't know that I was so clear on that. Uh, I'd like to think I was, but, but you know that was a long time ago. The longer I've been in the field, the more I see that that is true, that there's something incredibly special and incredibly unique about massage therapy and the way we approach it and um, and the need that it fills in the kind of healthcare ecosystem. So uh, actually I came to it, my early training, I was a musician until it was pretty clear that that was not how I was gonna make my living. Many of my friends were amazing musicians and they had a passion that I knew deep down I didn't have. So I started teaching kids how to play and then uh, was doing all sorts of interesting things with them, was interested in yoga and having them do movement stuff, went away to yoga training and then ended up discovering massage therapy and really never looked back in all these years. So I think I think the main thing that people need to know about me is, and the thing I think of myself more than anything else, Damien, is as a clinician. I mean, I've always come from that viewpoint. There is nothing that for me, I love being in the clinic. I love that one-to-one -one relationship with that person who comes in and says, this is what I'm experiencing. Can you help me? 
um, that moment, you know, that connection is just something that I cherish and have long felt a, a relationship with that. Over the years, I, you know, I'm also an educator. Um, I have a teaching company called NMT Midwest, which teaches precision neuromuscular therapy. We were doing about 100 seminars a year. <clears throat> and, um, and, and really, over the years, I've got more and more interested in research. And I think uh, I went to one of the research conferences that the foundation sponsored. And then um, one of my associates and I submitted a poster. And then somebody asked me to volunteer on the community service grant, you know, and here we go. And then suddenly I was on the wow. board and, and, uh, and then now I've been president of the board. I think this is my third year doing that. Wow. So it's been a rich, rich experience. And, and as in so many things, it's all about the, the relationships that you build. And also there's, there's something incredibly satisfying about shared purpose. And, you know, I think that's true, Damien, when I'm teaching, um, certainly in the foundation, there's nothing so powerful as unity of purpose. And when you meet other people who share that same passion as you, it's a, it's a lovely bond and mm -hmm. um, something that I um, have come to really appreciate. Well, the clinician piece, I've talked to a few longtime therapists and the love of being in the room with a patient or a client mm -hmm. uh, is foundational to a long-term massage therapist or manual therapist uh, career life. M myself, I was in a slightly different boat. I lasted about... 10 years working hands-on. And then I noticed I was losing the passion and the quality of work that comes with that. And I thought I need to shift gears here a little bit and be integral to who I am. And so I, I shifted, I, I, I retired from the hands-on work and still stayed uh, involved partially in this way with, with the podcast, but it's yeah. been, or it strikes me that one of the ways a, an individual stays so long in the profession is you have to have that passion to do the work. And there's something unique about that. There aren't very many 40 plus year yeah. therapists in the world. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if you can elucidate a little bit on, on that yeah. the, the longevity of working as a therapist, yeah. because I imagine it gets deeper and richer as you go Absolutely. as you work through all the various barriers and things. Can you talk to that a little bit? I think absolutely, Damien. Um, I think there are a couple aspects to this, one of which is there's, there's so much that we can learn from other professions. So I, I remember a research study in the psychotherapy world, and they were it was a longitudinal study looking at people who'd been in the field more than 20 years. And, it, mm -hmm. and the question was, you know, what keeps you? What keeps you in the field and motivated? Overwhelmingly, there were two things. One, the sense that I'm doing good in the world and that I make a difference in someone else's life. And two, that I, that I as a person, am growing every day and that the work is a portal through which that growth happens. And mm -hmm. as soon as I read that, it resonated with me because that is absolutely true. And and the other thing I want to share, Damien, is, um, you know, when I was, uh, it's interesting, I, 
my normal day, you know, I see one person after the other. And so I don't really have time to like take phone calls or what, cause I'm just boom, 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 boom all day long. Um, right. But when I'm in the car, I often have more time. So I was actually driving up to the foundation and uh, this woman called me, she was a new client and she's telling me her, her story, which was a not, great story about her saga, you know, with healthcare and with her struggle with her pain. So uh, it was like a 40 minute thing. And I get out of the car and I walk into the foundation and the staff there, you know, it was right front and center in my mind. So I was telling them, you know, it's this amazing conversation. And, and I remember one of the staff said, boy, it's amazing that somebody you've never met and who's never met you would share that vulnerability, you know, that soft underbelly with you, with someone they've never met. That's quite the thing. And, I, and absolutely that's true. But the, my reply was also important, which is she's not the only person that's vulnerable because I am also vulnerable because the moment we get together in the treatment room, within seven minutes, she's going to figure out that I do not have the answer, Right. Um, it's not like, oh, 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 I got it. And here we go. Right. It's like, wow. Okay. And, and there is that lovely moment, Damien, when, when two people are both like either way out over their skis or it's that catch breath and you jump off the precipice together. It's like, we do not know where this is going, but we are going there together and together we are going to figure this out it's not unlike this conversation, right? Like you had some idea mm-hmm. of what you might ask me and then you turn on that record button. We take a catch breath and, and we don't know where this is going to go. And that's where the, the richness happens is the unpredictability of it all. And when you think you know where it's going, um, that's when it gets boring and whatever, and you miss so many signs along the way, so many roads that could have been so interesting so I think that journey with people of accepting right now, I do not know the answer, but I do understand a little bit of the structure of problem solving. So when we're lost, I, I, I can help us figure out how to find our way back. And, right. and together we will do that. And there's something about that relationship. And for so many people, Damien, it's the first time somebody put the flag down and said, oh, no, 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 no. We're in this together. We will figure this out. I like that idea of aiding somebody to because your problem solving set is is the piece that's been evolved and practiced it's to help lead the person back to a place of uh sanity is the word that comes to mind it's not sanity it's something like that though where where you're you as a therapist are are supporting that individual in their journey towards health and wellness. Yeah. And doing what they love. Right. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. how cool is that really? I do what I love, which is this, which then allows somebody else to do what they love. And maybe what they love is, uh, playing the, the cello. Uh, maybe it's a concert cellist. Maybe it's somebody who can pick up their, their three-year-old that they couldn't do before, you know, whatever it is, what a what a privilege that is that mm-hmm. and this is what I love and and so it's a lovely relationship in that way. Yeah, it does have that depth that your friend spoke to the one your colleague that you 
spoke to about the person who had phoned you, there is a quality of depth that shows up with the people who are contacting us or coming into contact with us through the, through the therapy that uh, is unusually uh, intimate. Absolutely. You know, right off the bat. I, I was thinking about that Damien a little while ago because I went to a, a memorial service for one of my clients and, you know, I'm looking around the room and, and I think to myself, I knew that person in a way that probably nobody else here did, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Because over the years we had um, a relationship, much of which was nonverbal, but very deep nonetheless. Um, there's yeah. that felt connection that is part of the privilege of human touch. Yes. Yeah, it was one of the places in the therapy that I did or, or what we call therapy that I felt when I was right on point with it, that was the, the it had the best, um, it had the best quality of what you're speaking to this, this richness of engaging in something that you love and, and knowing that this other person is going to be able to do that as well. It's, it is that knowing the work you're doing is a, is a real privilege. It's uh, yeah, it, it, it can be such a rich type of work, the Absolutely. manual therapy work. Absolutely. And, you know, I think if we are having this conversation and, and you are trying to communicate to me some concept or idea, and I'm clearly not getting it. And the moment I say something in return to you and you say, yes, yeah, that that's what I've been trying to tell you, right? There's that mm -hmm. oh, and that now we have we are meeting and communicating in a way that's that that is much deeper and resonant. And we do that with touch as well. So the person struggles and and maybe they're not terribly articulate about what they feel and and then a therapist can replicate their symptoms through hands-on palpation. And nothing need be said, right? Yeah, I've seen that look in people's faces thousands of times when they just, with their eyes say, oh my gosh, this is what I have been feeling. Th that is a level of deep validation that right. in a way only that can, can do. Mm -hmm. I'm also struck by the fact that you attended a client slash maybe even friends uh, parting this, this world, going to their funeral, uh, the personal, the personalization or the, the personal nature of that is something that I think is quite unique to yeah. this healthcare profession where you do get the amount of time you get with your clients, with your yeah. patients. And yeah it allows a building with that person that is, is quite unique. And it speaks to a, f a few things that we were talking about prior to. And, and as you've been talking, I've been thinking about the creative nature of the work and how a lot of what you've talked about already relates to your nature as a person who creates, who is creative in the world with the music, with the yoga with your work as a massage therapist. 
and I've talked to other people on the show about the idea of, uh, let's call it the artistic nature of our work or mm-hmm. the creative nature of our work and how that uh, informs what we do as manual therapists. I, I'm, I'm really, really curious about the contrast between art and science in this way, because our profession in Canada, especially has had a strong push towards, we need research, we need evidence-based, we need all of these things, which I totally agree with, but it's almost like the pendulum can swing very far in that direction and miss out on the artistic, on the creative, on the connective piece, on the intuition. And in some of your writings that I was looking at online, you speak to this idea mm-hmm. of connecting the two and you're, you're part of a, a foundation that is heavy into research. And yet a lot of what you write is related to art and creativity in the work. Yeah. Can you broaden that out for, for people listening? What, how do you do that? And, yeah. mm-hmm. and why is it important? How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, oh my gosh, this is a subject about which I feel so passionate. And one is that I, I just love the period in, in history of the Renaissance. And I think there's a lot to be learned in this is that the longing for how the world works. And in that time, and now, like when you say the contrast between, yeah, I just don't see a contrast between the science and the art of it all. Mm -hmm. And certainly back then in those days, um, I don't know if, you know, I wish I could show you this, but, uh, well, actually, are you familiar with the, the, the drawing, the, the Truvian man? from da Vinci with the, you know, with the man with the arms. Yep. So if you remember that drawing, Damien, if you call it to mind, there's a circle and there's a square, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, it wasn't lost on anybody. By the way, Vitruvius was 23 BC, um, an amazing architect who wrote, uh, I think it was 10 books called On Building that were uh, a study in in narcolepsy. Um, Like, oh my gosh. But but it was centuries later that that, that um, Da Vinci, doing research in a rare book library, right, discovered these books, and that's where the drawing came from. This wasn't Da Vinci's idea. He was giving uh, uh, an image to what uh, Vitruvius was uh, elucidating, but it was lost mm-hmm. on no one, either in Da Vinci's time or Vitruvius's time, about the circle and the square. So. This, in the, that idea, the square represents structure and support and foundation. And the circle represents the heavens, right? And if you have only like the heavens and infinity, there is no ground from which to grow. And if you only have a root system with no tree, right, then you've got like kind of nothing. So you have to have that structure and root system with which to grow big, big branches. You, it, they're so intimately connected. So for instance, that's why all Roman cities were built in a circle, but with a grid system, you know, in terms of streets, it's, it's the circle and the square again. And those two 
are completely interrelated and each one facilitates the other as um so as a musician i you know i'm i'm a oh my gosh i just had a cello lesson this morning and got totally shredded uh oh my gosh every time i think i make a little progress my teacher anyway uh it's a humbling experience right (laughs) um so so but the thing is you know with that there is a structure to this. I mean, I work on all these fundamental things. I work on the, you know, the, oh my gosh, the bow, right? I'm doing all Mm -hmm. these fundamental things. Why, why, you know, why go through all these etudes? Why do all this technical stuff? It's to be able to sing, right? It's, it's to, to, you do all that work so that at some point it becomes transcendent from that. But you can't have the, I'd love it if you could just do the transcendent part. Uh, turns out that's really, uh, except for the Mozarts of the world, it's pretty impossible, right? For the rest yeah. of us mortals, right? We have to work on our skill sets. And you do that so that you can sing at some point. And, and I'm thinking, I don't know if you have ever seen or heard of the Kohler company, but they make gorgeous faucets and i mean they're high-end stuff uh, if i could ever afford it it i mean it's just faucets right uh, you know but oh my god they're gorgeous and and i love what mr kohler said when, when that question came up of is this craftsmanship or is this art and then there's the well, wait a minute do i really know the difference between those two and i love what he said the difference is this craftsmanship impresses you art moves you uh, you know, I've I saw Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, I've seen him a couple of times live. You are not impressed when you listen to him. You are moved to your very core. But the skill level that it took for him and all the work it took, you do all that work so that you can move people to the core. And I feel the same way in this work. I mean, I I work on the technical skills, the palpation skills, my anatomy skills. I don't do that for the sake of skill building. You do the skill building so you can make a difference in someone's life. You, you know, it's the same with all the research, Damien. Why do you do the research? Because in every session, I mean, I think people don't realize how many choices there are in every therapeutic encounter. From the moment you greet someone, the first thing you said, what your eye movements revealed, what what your nonverbal language is, the first question you asked them, the way you sat down, your position relative to that. These are all, either it's, it's by design or by default. I would rather it be by design so that you are thoughtful in everything you do and everything you say for one purpose, and that one purpose is to serve the person who's in front of you. So you you do all that research because there are decisions to be made when this person says, it hurts if I, but not if I, you know what's really weird? If I just turn my head this way. So all of that background knowledge for me, I am in my head thinking, well, that takes this out, that takes that out. Well, okay, so that leaves these three things. I'm making decisions in my head so that I can fail faster, right? So I can get to a point where the where the person says, whoa, 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 how, how did you know that? Like, right. well, because everything you do revealed that process. Sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it's a struggle. Often it is, right? But it's having the tool set to navigate that pathway without it. Um, 
I mean, I get it. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while, but, but I think our clients deserve better than that. Right. I think mm -hmm. they, they deserve me fully paying attention to my skill sets and doing skill building exercises. And um, I've worked with some pretty amazing, uh, really, really high level athletes and performers. And I can tell you the energy and the time they put in the insane skill building is astounding. And, but again, they do it at a level that is for a clear purpose and the clear purpose is the execution of their particular craft. Yes. I have a, I have a thought as you're speaking to it, because I think about the idea of coming to your craft, to your work and trying to come at it from your best place. So as a therapist, bringing yourself to the, to the room in a real integral way, spending the time listening, being curious, uh, forging forward with your knowledge base and trying to uncover or unwind or mm -hmm. figure out what will best help this person in front of me. What about when we're not at our best? What about when the world crunches into us and we still are arriving at work and dealing with both the person in front of us and the things that are confounding outside of that. How yeah. do we navigate bringing our best to the table when we're in those places? Because anybody who's had a life will encounter those things. And I remember working in those kinds of spaces, even with the idea of boredom, um, how, I think you must have some wisdom after 40 some odd years working it, how does one navigate that place and, and, and still bring their best self and, and be an integral therapist? Yeah. Is, is there room for bringing your B, your B grade self to the, to the room? Absolutely. Um, because I, I think what you're talking about sounds like, what do they call it? Um, life. Oh yeah. That's what they call yeah. it. And, oh, yeah. 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 Like real life uh, as though every day, right. That you're going to be at your best and, oh my gosh, I'm great. Like, no, sometimes it's about showing up, you know, mm -hmm. and, and also being real, not, not so much that you have to say to that person this, but just like for me, um, uh, you know, I've worked uh, I, with some teams in the, NBA and and I mean I learned a lot from those people, and one of the things that they talked about as well is kind of the holy grail of the the lines of the basketball court. That outside of those lines, there are people pulling at you constantly, and everybody wants them. But once you step inside that line, it's like everything is different. And I feel like that it's the threshold of my treatment door. That the moment I close that door. For me, my brain says, now, it's it's all about them. It is not about me. Whatever's happening in my life, um, my job, my moment here is to absolutely focus on that person. And it becomes a way that I can step out of myself and and whatever the struggles and drama and, you know, as somebody who's involved in lots of different leadership roles and whatever, it's like, believe me, there's a lot of those, Right. Mm -hmm. but, but that's maybe that's why um, I, sometimes I tease people like you have no idea how happy I am to see you today. Right. And, they're, you know, they're like, well, like, no, you really have no idea. Because the moment I close that door, 
I am, I, I'm a happy guy because it's just, it's just me. It's just them. And it's all about them, you know? And, right. and, and that helps me get out of me and the drama that was going on in my head and the scenarios I had running and all that imagined stuff, right. That uh, the same brain that can, you know, take us to the moon can take us to hell, you know, like, okay, stop with all that. Listen, pay attention, make the complete focus on that person it's a it's a zen like experience for me and one of the things because i see a lot of people people always ask me about the physicality of the work and that is not an issue for me what the, the larger issue is the mental focus you know keeping that focus all day long so when one person walks out the door and short order the next person comes in that moment again we all start over and uh, i have this lovely scroll i brought back from japan that is the the saying is ichigo ichi but you know um one moment one opportunity um every moment is an opportunity for service never to return and that's why it's right in front of my treatment door nobody hardly ever notices it but Mm -hmm. i see it every time i walk in my treatment door and it's that little reminder of this moment this person, my job is to serve them. And it gets me out of me. And, and uh, that's a good thing. There are times when I just need to get out of the way of myself. Yes. If you're a new therapist struggling with such things, or even an old hand at it, uh, what would be some skill sets a person could build in order to better arrive do you have any ideas if, if i came to you as a new therapist and said i don't know how to stay focused mm-hmm. what would you say to that person yeah well one um i think it's i think two things the first thing damien is like when i do advanced trainings and people come here and we see clients together i think they're always a little surprised even though when i'm teaching I tell them this, but they still don't believe me that I get lost a lot, right? That I struggle just like everybody else. And I think they all think, oh yeah, you're just saying that. And then they come here, right? And then and then this client comes in presenting with things that are like totally perplexing and and they say, Oh my God, you're like lost. Like, well, no kidding. You know, welcome to my life. Yeah. Like if uh-huh. if they were easy, we wouldn't call them problems, right? It's kind of Einstein said if it if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't call it research, right? So yeah. um, I think it's helpful to know that everybody has the same struggles, even people that you think uh, are somehow at some other level. Guess what? They're not. The struggles are just different. We're all we're all in this together. We all have the same kinds of things. And the other thing I would say is that, you know, um, here we go. I would say my suggestion to someone in that scenario that you brought up, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, do you have an artistic discipline that you are doing? And if the answer is no, that would be my suggestion. For instance, uh, just, uh, you know, I mentioned the bow earlier, uh, me with the cello. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, in the cello, when you're bowing something, there's an up bow and a down bow, right? And so the bow is either moving upward or downward. Well, I would start a phrase and I'm out of real estate, man. Like (laughs) I'm trying to go one way and it's like, I'm already at the end of the bow, right? And, And my teacher said something so interesting to me, Damien. He said, 
you know, when you're starting a new phrase, he, he had me hold the bow on my finger, on my index finger, and just try to balance the bow. And I got to this place where the bow was just balanced. And he said, start every phrase from the balance point. I almost fell off my chair. Like, think about that in the largest context, right? Start every session from your balance point, right? Don't start it thinking about the last session. Don't anticipate this session. Just start from the balance point and you won't run out of bow. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so many of those kinds of revelations to me that happen outside the profession through through artistic endeavors that translate right back to my, you know, my craft, which is being a massage therapist. Right. So, so I think the, the translational aspect of the arts is such a great uh, personal growth opportunity. Right. I love that answer because my current profession is painting. So, <laughs> or at least part of it is that. And I do agree. Most of my life actually revolves around creative process and learning to better those things. Not only bring your originality and your, your creative brain to the process, but how do you improve the technique and the the quality of the technique and and as you say it translates to so many other things i'm a martial artist as well and my martial arts training translates so often into my life and and brings lots and lots of value to these other endeavors that i do absolutely and i think that is great advice to pretty much anybody who's working on being focused on yeah anything so start a creative process that inspires you or yep so here's an example um one thing i did with my staff um if you know like um uh i just lost it the spanish painter um oh shoot just like famous painter kind of just lost it um Darn it. Anyway, so what he would do, I'll get this. It's so ridiculous because yeah. so famous. Um, okay. Anyway, so what he would do is he would copy like Caravecchio. He would copy all these ancient masters until mm -hmm. he could do it so well that his friends couldn't tell one, you know, the original from the copy. And then he would never do it again. And then then he would do it again and, and again and with another person and with another person. So in that skill building thing, he understood all those different aspects. But once he mastered it, it was all gone. Uh, John Coltrane, the jazz saxophonist, did the same thing. You know, he would mimic different people and do it perfectly and then never do it again and came up with his own original sound. So... Um, so the same thing, I did this little thing with my staff where we had one person lying face down and we would, you know, take a particular area, like we're going to do a little work on the uh, upper trapezius and we're all supposed to do the same kind of thing. But if five people do it to the same person, the person on the table who has no idea who's who says, oh my God, number three, what there's something about the way that they are doing that, that is absolutely fabulous. Now, the person lying face down has no idea who number three is, but number three has to then teach 
the other people how to do it exactly like that. Now, I understand that everybody might like something different, but the fact if, if I'm number one and I have to adapt what I'm doing to perfectly match number three, it means that I have my skill sets so clearly um, defined that I can actually adapt and change on the fly to replicate something else. That was a lovely skill building exercise. Just can you adapt? Can you change? Can you modify in a predictable way? And, and it was a, a really great thing for everybody to go through that process. Yeah. It also sounds a lot like a process towards evolution where you broaden out the skills in a way that you can come across something both original and, or yeah, new Absolutely. or, or it's not necessarily new, but it has your input into it. So it makes it unique. That to me is, is a really curious part of craft and art and, and it is where something like massage therapy becomes unique to that person because you'll go see a therapist and there's something about how the whole package of them arrives, how they touch, how they speak, how they hold space that to various individuals is the perfect, yeah. the perfect match in yeah. terms of therapist and, and the person who's being treated by the therapist. And, and, and Damien, to the skill set I was developing, by the way, I, f I remember what I was thinking, how embarrassing is this? It's Pablo Picasso. Yeah, like this is, oh. you know, uh, you know, a little known name. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. but to that skill set, that person with that kind of depth of skill sets in the session, it's, you know, they are, they have the capacity to pick up the signals, verbal and nonverbal, that this is not a perfect match for this person and then keep tweaking, keep changing, keep tweaking, keep changing until boom, you have that, that resonance that happens. It's not like, otherwise it's more like I have a fabulous answer and I hope it matches your question. Right. Yeah. That that's not the, it's like, here's what I do. I hope you like it. It is mm -hmm. what is it that you need? Because I have the skill sets to adapt around that, to create the thing that you need. And that's what, you know, honestly, all fabulists, you know, you know, artists do at that point is that it's that sense of flexibility. And that only comes with a, an, a massive array of skills at the same time, still keeping your voice, you know, and that, yes. that's the thing. So you have to be in a space to that, that is the right context to make that happen as well. So, yeah. So how does something like research inform this kind of space? Yeah. And what, what, uh, what value does research have? Because my, uh, and I think there's lots of values, but my bias has always been, uh, that it makes things sticky and programmed. It, it creates recipes. It does these various things. And I, I don't hold to that bias, but I think that it's one of the dangers of over-sciencing something or over-researching something. It takes away the craft piece to right. some degree. How do you, how does one mingle those things? Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get it. I used to think like that, Damien, and, and I've come to a very different place with it. 
I think in some ways what, here's how I used to think. I used to think, so I see a client who presents with something. I feel like I'm, again, a little out over my skis or I've outkicked my coverage. And like, so, so I go to the research literature. Here's what I used to think. And that someone out there was going to tell me, here's what you do. Yes. Well, as it turns out, uh, it doesn't really work like that. One, actually finding something that is in any way a perfect match or in alignment with like the person I'm seeing and with the whatever study they did, probably not, right? It's, it's probably not going to translate that well. These days, I don't even look for that. I'm not looking for a recipe. I'm looking for a deeper understanding. I'll read through something and and you know, a lot of this will not be immediately applicable for me, but I'll find some little insight that tells me, oh my gosh, I never thought about it in that way. And therefore, I wonder if this is true and they found that. I wonder if I use that piece of information then to adapt with my... And, and those unfold the creative process. So for me, the anything that deepens your understanding deepens the art. So I use research as a way just to deepen my understanding, not to give me an answer. I'm actually looking for a better question than, than the right answer. Mm -hmm. and, and these days, my looking through the research has been so much of that. Maybe some of that started, Damien, because years ago, well, it's not that many actually, 20 years ago, when you looked at massage therapy research, it's hard to do any kind of translational thing because the people doing the work weren't even massage therapists. It, it, they did it in environments that were nothing like my personal practice and yours and kind of everybody else's. So it was different disciplines doing the work. It, it didn't really translate. So I had to make big leaps to think, well, how does that affect me and my client? I don't know. And, and then I would find research in other disciplines and other fields and make that kind of translational leap as well back to the work. Now it's a smaller leap in that there is research in the field, but, but honestly, even with the proliferation of the research in the last, say, 10 or 15 years, I mean, the foundation's given about $1.4 million, supported about that much in massage therapy research, and more is happening at every level. The idea that you're going to find something that is exactly parallel to what your client needs and experiences is is somewhat unlikely, but and that matters not to me um, because all I'm looking is something that I can bring back to that session, some some guidance, some way. In the end, you still have to make decisions, and that's where the art lies. This is not unlike you know medicine, you know just. Medicine has been using science, you know, things that way for a long time. Okay, that's good. But what do they still call it? You know, they call it the art of medicine. It, yeah, exactly, right? Because at some point when you're that provider, you have to make clinical decisions. And, and no research project, no something is going to tell you, you have to do this. It just gives you a guideline. And you can choose to follow that guideline. You can choose to adapt it. Those are the clinical decision-making, and that's where the art happens. Right. So there is a strong possibility of meshing 
science and art. And I think that's what we've been talking about. Yeah. Most of this podcast is they're not, they're not that separate of, yeah, they're, they're, they, what, what is the word? Uh, they coexist. Synchronicity or. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're both, yeah. they're both catalysts for each other. And I would say, mm-hmm. you know, I've always said the intersection of science and art is a sense of wonder, just wonder about the world. The scientists that I know that I just love, I just love being around them because they're, they're literally childlike. I mean, they look at everything with this sense of what they don't look at it as a sense of, I know anything, right? The, 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 the biggest, the way to get confident is, um, is lack of knowledge, basically. Um, that, that's what builds confidence. Uh, but, but those people are childlike in their sense of wonder and curiosity about the world. And I, I want to have that same sense of wonder and curiosity about the world, about my profession, about relationships. Um, and, and again, the, the deeper I understand the complexity and the interrelationship of things, the more that just sense of wonder about it all is the pervasive feeling. Yeah. It's inspiring stuff to think about it in that way. Yeah. I have, as, as we've been talking, I I've been thinking about also, so Two, two more things I'd like to hit on, actually, as our time starts to wind down a little bit. One is we've, we have been talking about these intersections. Now, say you're a therapist out in the world listening to this and you're excited. You're excited about mixing your craft and, and the idea of exploring deeper. And maybe you're one of these science types who does find joy and wander in this idea of researching something more deeply mm-hmm. and this is kind of a keeping house question maybe where where does the massage therapy foundation fit into that equation if i'm that individual do do i contact the massage therapy foundation what is the grant process like how do i uh, involve myself in in the process more if i'm just Joe Schmo, massage therapist out in the world. How do I become more involved? What are what, what are some first steps? Yeah, but I would say, you know, following that curiosity, Damon, Damien, I, I would do this. Um, one of which is just go to the foundation website, massagetherapyfoundation.org, and look at some of the resources like. Um, you could look at some of the past posters that we've done and some of the visual abstracts that that are like a visual abstract is just this little like um, uh, uh, we used to call them infographics, but but just a little summary of perhaps a case study or a research study. And it's, you know, it's a one minute thing where you can just kind of read through this and get a sense for these. We have a bunch of those that are published on the website. You can look at some of the research posters that have been at past conferences that we've done. And, and again, it's a five minute read, but you see, oh my gosh, that's so interesting that that person applied massage to this particular population or this particular person. And here's what happened. How interesting is that? So that's a little invitation. And then the next thing would be I really love for for therapists like you and I reading case reports, which is basically um, 
just a narrative. It's the, it's your story about, I saw this client. It was really interesting. Here's why it was interesting. Here's what we Mm -hmm. did. Here's why we did it. Here's what happened. And here's what I think that means. And because if you and I are, you know, just having a glass of wine together and and you're telling me about this really interesting client you saw, and then you did this and that like, it was really helpful. You know it. I know it. We're the only two people who know that now. And, And in a case report, you share that with the world and, and then you get to read and it, it's somebody's real world experience and somebody just like yourself. So case reports are a lovely introduction to that process. The actual big formal research studies. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's very complex and yeah, you don't want to go there. But, but start by reading you know, case reports, by looking at posters, by looking at the visual abstracts. That's a lovely entree, a portal into the system to help you be more comfortable. And another thing I would say, Damien, is like many of the case reports that have been published in the journal, which is IJTMB, um, that, that research journal, read some of those case reports. But we've also done what we call research perch things where... We might talk to the people who did the study or a couple of different, you know, uh, science folks might explore just kind of going through, here's what that actually means and just walk you through the process. And those are anywhere from 20, 30, 40 minutes long. And I think you'd find those really, really a fun exploration. So the thing, uh, everything like that just develops your and deepens your understanding of the process. And, Hmm. you know, one thing that we're hoping down the road is uh, one thing that we've explored is maybe the idea of doing what's called a practice-based research network where therapists can participate more collectively and uh, therapists actually participating in this. Hopefully that's something over the next couple of years we'll be looking at. Right now there's something that you could actually participate in, which is called Project COPE, which is for people... I certainly feel this. I'm at my office right now, which is normally a beehive of activity. It's totally empty. Um, We are not really serving the community uh, as we normally do uh, because we're sidelined because of the, you know, the COVID uh, Mm -hmm. experience. But many of the people that we serve, they're out there, right? They're frontline workers. They're doing what they need to do, but we're not there to support them. Boy, that's a, emotionally, that's a really difficult thing. So this project COPE is a way to capture those emotions. And uh, because honestly, four months from now, when we look back at this time, it's pretty hard to retrospectively say, I think I felt like this, right? The time to capture them is now. And that's something that all of you can participate in right now. And right now is the time to do that. And there's a link. If you just do project COPE on the foundation website, please participate in that because capturing those things will create data that we can analyze and hopefully used as a way to help not only our profession, but others two, three years down the road. Sure. And we'll include that link in the show notes for people to. That would be great. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. To to segue into my next question, that's a good, a good beginning of a segue. I think information is power and all of us are coping with a pandemic in various ways as the massage profession tries to figure out what to do i find it really valuable to ask various people in various places 
what are what are they doing what is your community of massage therapists doing locally to uh, work with how we're going to move forward with covid 19 and 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 how we protect ourselves and how we protect our clients are you guys doing anything unique um what's the what's the process in your in your locale yeah as far as massage therapy goes in terms of my own personal locale are you asking yeah 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 so i think i think all of us and and again i think this is the important thing we're all struggling to find where is that line you know where is it the line of being safe you know reasonably safe mm-hmm. you you cannot take uncertainty out of the equation it's just not possible but, no. but where is that reasonable line um i think we're all struggling with this i don't have a great answer for you i think the the thing that's been encouraging is is i see so many people talking so many therapists connecting with each other because we're all struggling with this um mm-hmm. and that, i found great solace in that knowing that I'm struggling as well. And, um, uh, you know, I've talked to people all over the country and uh, I don't know, there's some some comforting aspect knowing that other people are struggling with the same decisions that that I am struggling with. Yeah. It's like there are no immediate 100% answers to any of it. And part of Part of the whole process is the connection is the how do we as a community figure out some of the solutions and how we can support each other in this pretty unprecedented absolutely space yeah i I think that what you were talking about with the cope piece on the on the website and more places of connection to even vent as it were uh, and get that energy moving because it is a scary time for a person who is feeding themselves with a profession that gets very intimately close and you're touching people and and there's this invisible virus out there that is very infectious and And we want to take care of each other. We want to take care of ourselves. Uh, many of us do, anyways. And how how do we go forward from there? It's it is a it is a bit of a conundrum. Yeah, absolutely, and and it it, it just is right. Uh, and so yeah. together, we have to figure this out. We have to figure out a way to move forward. Um, but that will, if it fosters that collective good and collective sense of that. Maybe that's something that we can take forward from here that you can do great things when you work together. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment hundred um, percent. We're almost at an hour here, Doug, and yeah. it's been pretty fruitful. I think we've hit on many different things. I love the talk about the creative and art piece related to therapy, because I think it's not, talked about or heard enough and I, I love where it goes. I, I think the profession, the massage therapy profession draws really creative, thoughtful humans to it. And to to really speak to that and value and hold it is a wonderful way to to respect it and and really say you we're doing 
beautiful work in the world as as people who help people through kind consensual touch I, I i love when the conversations head in that direction so i've really valued all of your insight and and i have enjoyed the talk a lot and i hope the listeners get a lot out of it i think so i think they will and is there anything you'd like to add just to exclamation point yeah. as we end things you know, it's funny in that conversation, Damien, it goes back to all those years earlier, you know, that, that some, that sense deep down inside that this profession is uniquely positioned to make a difference. And I still feel that way. And I think that what we bring to the world, yes, there are other professions that do manual therapy, but it is not the massage experience, right? So how do we, how do we keep that, embrace that? And, and still progress and develop and be more effective uh, as therapists, but also, um, you know, keep that sense of the, the specialness of the massage experience at the same time. I think that's, um, I think that's a, an achievable goal. And, and in the end, it's the, the amazing privilege we have to serve the people that grace our treatment tables. That's the privilege. And, and just to savor that and, and never take that for granted. And I think that's a very special thing. Yes. Thank you, Douglas Nelson, for the fruitful conversation. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Damien John. This is Massage Therapy Now. I hope everyone stays safe and well out there. And we will continue to bring you beautiful conversations in the hopes to bolster ourselves through these tough times. Take care and we will speak at you all soon.